0: Before we get to today's episode of the podcast, I want to give you a brief snippet of our Stay Forth story. Stay Forth designs. We exist to help leaders get healthy and reach sustainable impact. We don't want you to burn out or flame out in the meantime. If you've listened to this podcast at all, you know that we're crazy about leaders living and leading right side up. This world is upside down in so many ways. At the kingdom of God, there's this picture of leading right side up what feels like upside down to have limits to have boundaries to have sustainable impact over the long haul without burning out without flaming out without having a moral failure of some kind my friends it is possible and we work with leaders each week at stay forth who are on that path who are getting healthy who are overcoming obstacles who are leading at an incredibly high level who are gaining clarity in their lives And we see this friends, it is possible to live and lead right side up for the long haul without losing our souls in the meantime. And there are two ways that we primarily live that out at State Fort. The first one is coaching that helps leaders clarify. We are leadership coaches. We help leaders to be able to understand, to discern some of the obstacles in their leadership and some of the next steps that they can take. And then we hold leaders accountable. We get to watch leaders grow into the influence that God has designed them for. And we're seeing some incredible things happen, not just leaders accomplishing incredible things, the what in their life, but becoming incredible people, the who in their life. The second thing that we do at State Fort Designs is we host experiences that help leaders to replenish we are tired in this season. Leadership is hard. It's challenging for people to want something from you all the time, whether you are a mom or a CEO, or you lead a nonprofit, or you're a pastor in a local church, you're a podcaster, you're an online influencer. That is hard for people to have expectations of you. We create these four day experiences where we serve you. You come, you don't lift a finger. We go to beautiful places. We pair you with like-minded, like-hearted leaders We have great conversations and oh, yeah, we have fun and really good food along the way. Those experiences are an incredible time. You'll continue to hear about those here on the podcast. The coaching is helping leaders to win, to become the people God has designed them to be so they can do the things God has designed them to do. Guys, we are seeing incredible things happening. If you are interested in coaching, to help you clarify in this next season what steps you're going to take and then to be on the path to take those. One of our coaches can get a free breakthrough session with you. Our coaches come in from Zoom all over the country and we have some incredible leaders that we can match and pair with you and with your needs. And if you are interested in an experience, head on over to stayforth.com, click on the experiences tab or click on the coaching tab. You can see a little bit more what's behind that. Go ahead and just send us an intro email. Tell us about the kind of coaching or experience that you desire, and we will let you know when that becomes available for an experience, and we will connect you with the right coach, and you get a free breakthrough coaching session to be able to clarify some of the things going on in your life and leadership right now. Friends, we are more than a podcast here at the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. We have all kinds of other things, including a Right Side Up community, including our Right Side Up journal. We have an email we send every single Tuesday called Tuesday Tune Up with Practical Next Steps. You can find information on that in the show notes below. We're gonna continue to host conversations about health and impact at the collision or the intersection of the spiritual and the practical. Friends, who you are matters more than what you do. We wanna help you steward the life God has given you the things you are designed to do. But in order to do that, you need to figure out who you are and who God has designed you to do. We're going to continue to have these conversations right here on the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. Now, on with this episode. Sean, two-timer. Welcome back to the podcast, my man. Man, it's good to be back.
1: I get, we got to do, do one on leaders and living rooms with you. I mean, there you I'm go. Fall here or something.
0: I feel like we're, be back, man. we're in a digital living room whenever we chat. Last week, I was in my car. We had a great conversation. Next week, I'm going to grab coffee or tacos out here in Colorado. But one of the reasons I love chatting with you, you're, just, you're in these conversations with leaders in living rooms, in cohorts, um, having conversations that need to be had. But first of all, talk about the roles—the different roles that you find yourself playing in the course, especially the pastors' lives in the course of a month. How do you describe those? Yeah,
1: they're definitely unique roles. If you think about the the role of a leader, uh, and we've all been in leadership positions of various kinds, there's a there's a phrase that says leadership is lonely, or it's lonely at the top, or whatever. And there's definitely some truth to that. You know, Uh, that that doesn't mean that you're not leading or or you're, yeah, you're not leading if nobody's following or whatever. You can have lots of people following and still be very, very lonely at the top. And so I think part of the role that I play is based on the design of, for me, knowing that leaders need a place to process. They need to place a safe place to unpack thoughts. And it's there's a phrase, you know, Airing your dirty laundry or whatever. And it's not that. It's um you, you would expect a leader to go into the boardroom, to go into the conference room, go into the staff meeting room, and to some extent have their act together. That doesn't mean they're an ivory tower leader. That doesn't mean they're polished and, and they're two different people. But there's certain conversations you have with your team when you're motivating and focusing and leading. And there are certain conversations you need to have as you're processing um things like hey, the team that I've been relying on is starting to change. You know, we've got a couple people on the team that are excelling and a couple people that maybe the things they've been really good at um, are starting to peter out. And what I need from them in the next season ahead is different. Well, how do you begin to process that and gain some clarity on that? It's probably not best to go into the staff meeting and have those conversations. So for leaders, um, they really stick their necks out there. And, you know, it's like the worst, uh, a worship leader leads worship. The worst thing you can do on a Sunday afternoon is critique a worship leader because they put their heart out there and it's never perfect, but they put their heart out there. And so they need a certain amount of support and uh, appreciation on Sunday afternoons. Now, Monday or Tuesday, you can begin to uh, unpack, Hey, how did, how did that go on Sunday? What do we need to do better? So that's a great example of, the different needs that leaders have. Sometimes they need encouragement. Sometimes they need clarity. But for me, I've felt the call to provide spaces that leaders can get surrounded by people with expertise and people they trust. A lot of that can be coaching. That's the role that I play mostly. Or it can be peers, getting them locking arms with their peers for a moment to talk about issues what are they doing what are they seeing what feels heavy in the moment so it's all of
0: those types of things so here's here's a theory around that we host and we say curate those spaces as safe spaces because the internet yeah. is not a safe space so i've watched the rise of cancel culture in my opinion coincide with the amount of these safer smaller processing spaces what are your Mm -hmm. thoughts on the connection between those two
1: i think there's a third thing that i would add in there is the internet makes it very easy to get into an echo chamber um this the space that you can go where people think the way you think and sort of fan the flames of whatever it is that you're upset about and so echo chambers are way, it's a form of cancel culture, right? I'm just going to go over here into this little echo chamber, this little bubble, and I'm going to ignore you because that is relatively uncomfortable for me. And I actually today released a podcast called The The Ugly Bride. And it's ultimately just saying like, we have a lot of disunity in the church. And some of that comes from just the American cancel culture where, oh yeah, I love this church, but I'm going to walk away in disgust because I don't like your mask policy
0: Mm -hmm. one way
1: or the other. And it's like, really? We're that like removed from a pure dedication to the mission and calling of the local church that we're going to leave a church we've been at over something as superficial as the mass policy. And that's a form of cancel culture, which is, that makes me uncomfortable. Um, So I'm just going to go where something is comfortable, which is the echo chamber kind of draw. And for me, it's really heartbreaking because we need to be able to be in community with people. I think everybody would agree, well, maybe not everybody, but For the most part, like people who don't look like you, people who were raised in different ethnic groups or different racial groups, um, different upbringings in economically, socially, all those types of things. We need to be able to be in community with these people. We need to be able to hear them. We need to be able to respect them, even though they think different than us, even though they vote different than us and the church has to lead the way in that. And so yeah, I absolutely think the the cancel culture is ultimately at its core, it's about comfort. Like hearing somebody process a thought that's different than mine that's maybe very valid, the easiest thing for me to do is not marinate in that. The easiest thing for me to do is pretend that doesn't exist.
0: Mm. Yeah, two ways, two two different defense mechanisms born mm-hmm. out of the same posture of I don't actually mm-hmm. care what you care about. Talk about processing just a little bit. It seems like we've really lost a lot of those processing spaces for leaders where you feel like, man, I could say something mm-hmm. wrong, tweet something wrong. We've seen leaders go 5% too far and be misunderstood in that is part of your heart to create these kind of safe half thought processing spaces, Sean?
1: Yeah, it comes with it. I think it comes naturally with the environment. Like we, we bring in a mentor. We actually don't bring in a mentor. We go to the mentor and they typically open up their home for a day or two. And we sort of meet in their living room and begin to have these unique conversations in these cohort environments. And the processing comes with that. Like, for us the bedrock of what makes that work it, some of it's the setting a leader will say a different version of a story when they're on stage giving a keynote at a conference when they're in the boardroom or the executive room in a meeting and when they're in their backyard patio or living room talking with friends like those yep. are the, it's the same story but you're going to get different areas of insight and so That happens, in my opinion, the bedrock for what makes that happen is trust. So relational connectedness helps build that trust. Empathy and connection helps build that trust. So our groups are formed around those pillars. And when you have that and those stories begin uh, to, are are revealed and it's great cuz we are meeting in people's homes and sometimes their spouse will come in and go oh hey you want to hear my version of that story like i remember That's it differently good. and it's really yeah. really cool to to listen to that and 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 dive into those moments so the processing then i think it's it's really valuable because i think and it's not that conferences are bad or were bad it's they're they're necessary but insufficient They're necessary to deliver content, and they certainly were more necessary in the past. But now we have so much digital content, they're less necessary. Um, But the processing side of that, I think, has been missing for a few decades. Uh, I went to some church conferences in the mid-2000s, and I remember this feeling that the bigger the church was, and there were a lot of breakout sessions by big churches doing different things, the bigger the church was, the more right they were when they mm-hmm. made a statement with a conclusion attached yeah. to it. Yeah. And I think that's that, that's part of human nature where we want the easy button. We want to go, hey, this worked there. Let's figure out what they did and plug do it and here. play, baby. Right. But processing requires you to go, well, um. Why why did it work there? And once we know that, then you can ask better questions about would it work here? And you can also ask, is it wise for us to even do it? Like what was the actual cost of that? Like there's a success that looks bright and shiny in the moment, but what's the actual cost of that? What did they have to say no to? Did they have to say no to things that we don't want to say no to in this season for our ministry? Or those types of things. That's the processing. Um, or you know, like a leader to go, oh, hey, we had these amazing things happen. Um, in our ministry last year, and everybody's talking about them. You know, we're, all the the movement we're seeing in discipleship and all those types of things. But you know, I had a kid go off to college, and my wife had health issues, and this was the cost to me as a leader. Well, you don't typically get those in a keynote, but you'll get them in the living room discussion. So it's uh, that kind of processing that really brings insight and value. So that's what we're after
0: yeah Sean, give me a couple of the crucial conversations maybe that have broken out in the last six months that you feel like are ones we really need to be leaning into more,
1: yeah, uh for sure the the reason why so my on my podcast, I've never done a podcast without a guest, and part of that is is I feel like I'm very fortunate to be connected to great people that I want their voice to to be heard, especially to the audience that that tracks with us. On leaders in living rooms. But um, last week, the, the one I recorded and the one that aired today called Ugly Bright, it was actually just me. It was like 18 minutes or something like that of just me talking. And one of the things from a crucial conversation, I think, is that we don't actually understand what unity requires. And what I talk about in the podcast is we actually think unity should come easy which is much more like uniformity. Oh, we all think the same. Let's just do this. And that's the echo chamber. Unity actually, so go to John chapter 18 and Jesus says, I want my church to be unified together like I'm unified with the father, okay? Beautiful statement. Like, oh, wow, isn't that wonderful? Well, go to John 18. What happened? That was what he said in John 17. What happened in John 18, right? Betrayal, right? Torture, death, So you see this human side of Jesus saying, this is what I want. Take this cup from me. That's what I want. Um, But ultimately what I want is the father's will. So I've got this human side of me. I'm fully human and I'm fully God. And so how do we then step into uncomfortable or painful things For the sake of unity, what do we give up personally? So I think that's an absolutely crucial conversation that the church needs all over from the board to the the staff, leadership staff team to the the lay members within the church. We have to do a better job of being a beautiful bride. So that's a huge, crucial conversation. I think there's another one. This is not as deep, but everybody seems to want to compare themselves to pre-COVID whatever. So I hear this over and over again, and I think it's, I think it's um, unfair, unrealistic, almost absurd for us to think that in the fall of 2021, we should be talking about what your numbers were in the fall of 2019, and how do we get back to that? I just don't understand how those two things are connected. I'm and so helpful. there's a lot of, it's, it's not helpful to go, oh, where are you at pre-COVID? Well, we're at 50%. Oh, we're at 62%. Oh, we're at 41%. It just doesn't matter. I think, honestly, we have to look at the uncomfortableness of all those people that were showing up whenever we want to look back and measure from, they're not coming back. And some have, some maybe are in various ways, but not regularly, and, and some might But there's a huge chunk of that group that's not. I I think they're the nuns, the N-O-N-E, the nuns. And the gap in the disruption of COVID has let them take a step further away from their periodic attendance. So we have to stop comparing ourselves like that. That is some bar we have to. And we have to go, hey, where we're at, How? this is what I think we should say what size core do we believe we have in this moment and how do we build this church moving forward how do we make disciples moving forward based on that and give ourselves permission to like let god architect our future that that our future is not rearchitecting the past to get numerically in an attendance the truth is is that counting attendance Isn't that helpful? It's somewhat helpful. I think it should be done, but it's been carried like a badge too often in church, and it just really doesn't reveal the depth of what God is doing in a a church family and in a community. And so this is a great opportunity to say, hey, how do we look at this as we're planting a new church and we we maybe have hundreds or thousands of people in our church right now? And it's less than what we were pre-COVID, but let's take that group and say, we believe this is a new core and we're going to look at this like as a new phase where this core is our launch team moving forward. Now, what, is God, what story does God want to tell for mm-hmm. the next 24 months? That's yeah, what good. I think leaders need to be talking about when it comes to crucial conversations. Let's not, every almost every time I'm with leaders, I hear the pre-COVID this, pre-COVID that. and And I get it. Um, on the surface, it's not toxic, but I think it can be over and over again. I think when you go home and, and you rest in that and you're just going like, oh, well, we're in the same community and we're at 52% and he's at 63%, um, that's not healthy.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a, good, that's a good shift. I think it's needed. And we've got to create new language or we're going to keep going back there. Right, it's like okay. Well, in college, I was ripped and had ten more pounds of muscle, but I also had no other responsibilities other than studying, eating, yeah. sleeping, and lifting. So that doesn't yeah. really that's that's not helpful. Um, talk about burnout factors. We're always talking about helping leaders avoid burnout. Uh, you know, work toward proactivity from reactivity. Avoid certain things. Head into certain things. Ideally, health, sustainability, long term. What are a couple of burnout factors, even if they're just little kind of ankle biters that leaders need to be paying attention to right now, Sean?
1: Yeah, I'm going to say margin and focus. Mm, okay. Are two are my two things there. And, um, this is a rework of a, something probably, you know, Andy Stanley, I, anytime I have a leadership quote and I don't know who said it, I'm just like, it's probably Andy Stanley. Cause it is probably, <laughs> it's like, it, it's cool. I remember it. It's, I think it's pretty accurate. It's probably Andy Stanley. But <laughs> it, it, this is a rework of a statement that that is out there, but it's what got you here on the team won't get you there leading the team. And I think margin is one of those things. And what I, I'll unpack that just for a moment. What got you here on the team won't get you there leading the team because it takes different skill set. Most people got to where they are um, because they worked really hard and they had talent. Mm-hmm. But if you were to take, like, go to your high school graduating class and take the top five IQs from your high school graduating class, and I graduated from a small, like 50 person class. So maybe, maybe the top 10 or 20 or 30 for you or whatever, but take that top group of the the smartest IQ scores, the highest IQ scores. Um, they're not going to be the most successful people today in their thirties and their forties and their fifties or whatever, whatever age you are. Um, Why? Well, there's a number of factors, but one of them is is dedication and hard work. Um, a lot of times people, you know, they I know people that got straight A's in high school. My oldest is a sophomore in college. And so we just know tons of kids at that age that are off in college the last few years. And there are kids that got straight A's in high school, didn't work very hard. And I actually would bet on the B plus student who worked his or her tail off to get B plus than I would on the A plus student who didn't have to work very hard. Right by the time you go I to college, I
0: that, Sean. That is the story all right, man. Of my yes,
1: <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too. I was like, I'm never the smartest person in the room, so I guess yep. I'm going to have to learn how to just work never. hard. So, yep. I think what happens for a lot of times as leaders. know, move up to to be a point leader, which doesn't mean you're the lead pastor of a church. You could be like the youth leader is a point leader because Mm -hmm. you're pointing the the youth ministry, um, children's, all those types of things. So you're pointing a team. Um, You're the point leader. And I would say um, you work really hard and that gets you that job, but now you've got to lead through others. And There are things that you have to think about as a leader and things you have to do as a leader that if you don't, this goes back to the word margin, if you don't have margin to process those thoughts and gain clarity on those things, your hard work, which is what got you here, is not going to move your team forward. You have to be the one, if you don't think about those things, nobody will be thinking about those things. Yep. And so, um, and that goes to focus because focus comes out of that, right? This, this additional margin of some of it's like we just discussed processing time with coaches, mentors, and peers, some of it's solo time, right? And there's different proportions of that for all of us, because some people are, are individual processors primarily, and some are verbal like group processors, which is me. Um, I think much better in a group talking through things than I do just going and sitting on a bench, but I do still go sit on a bench. I need some of that time. I do it every, every morning. So margin creating room for you. And there's probably three benefits that come out of that. One is you're going to be able to think about things that nobody else can think about. Two. Your family is going to start feeling the weight that you have in the mantle of leadership because it's a 24 7 job, right? You never punch the clock and walk out. You're always carrying because you're coming thing. home. So got to,
0: you're coming home anxious. You didn't have time to let that breathe and let that sit. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Or even if you did, you thought you put it, you know, in a little cubby and you can deal with it tomorrow and, and your kid sets you off of or whatever.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not that so, that's ever happened. Absolutely.
1: To me. Yeah, exactly. Um, and in fact, I was talking with with somebody, a good friend and prayer partner yesterday, and just said, Hey, what do you need uh, right now? And he just he just kind of processed that same thought of I'm so busy that I'm triggered on things that I shouldn't be triggered on. And so I'm meaner, I'm I'm more curt and short with, with people that I care about which is kind of how it always works right you're you're the yeah. shortest with the people closest to you so margin brings value to your family and then the final thing for margin is there's always another shoe ready to drop that mm-hmm. you don't know about yeah. and if you don't if if you're at max and that happens,
0: you get no then space.
1: you're underwater now, yeah. right? So yep. you've got to have some space to absorb what is coming that you don't yet know about and you don't have control over. So mm. those are probably the three big wins for margin and margin then results in focus, which is what are the most important things? And really, I think saying no, is one of the most critical success factors to your, to what you're saying yes to. So what do you say no to, right? What is the opportunity that is actually disguised as a distraction? And you think it's an opportunity today, a good friend of mine, like strategic mind and, and, and coach for me is a guy named Doug Slabaugh and Doug's just absolutely amazing and he has this quote and it says there is no innocent yes meaning there's a cost. every time you say yes it could be cool and fun and exciting and all this other stuff but there's a cost to it and you'll pay that cost at some point in the future are you do you know what that cost is and are you ready to pay it it still could be a great yes but unless you process through that and remain focused and undistracted. And so I think really just knowing like, here's our top one, our top two things, and this is what we have to be about. And personally, that's applicable. It's also applicable to your ministry. So those would be my two big things for burnout. I think um, burnout is a key factor, but I think with with burnout, there's also part of the success of that is resiliency. You can put two people in the same situation, and one people could one person could be burnt out and one person could not be. Why is that? Well, I think some of that comes from resiliency. And so there's an emotional factor too. Yeah, we both just went through the exact same thing. Like I went through a lot of military training, basic training, you know, pilot training, 13 months, people dropouts, one of the hardest things you'll ever do in your life it would be you know in the aviation world it would be like navy seal school or something it's nothing like that but it's it's intense yeah. it's hard sure. um and we all go through the same thing and you know 10 or 20% of the people drop out well why is that I think some of it comes down to resiliency and honestly the margin and the focus are, are absolute keys in resiliency. So that would be another whole great conversation. I'll ask you, it's your, it's your podcast, but I would love to hear, cause I, I, I do think you do great work and when it comes to crucial conversations and processing and burnout factors, what you're doing is amazing and it's needed. What do you think, one of the, what are the, some of the keys to resiliency? I've never really unpacked that, but that is a key thing that leaders need in this season for sure.
0: Yeah. That we're having a lot of conversations, especially in coaching around pruning. And I think there's, there's a pruning that happened to us, right. That we had no control over. Um, and then we respond to it. And then I think there's, and so that's, I would call reactive or passive pruning, Then there's an active or proactive pruning that says, like you're saying, what do we need to say no to before it comes upon us and we just happen to say yes? And so we're at the intersection. Everything we do at State 4th, Sean, is at the intersection of the spiritual and the practical. And so a lot of the conversations we're having are, let's talk about your meeting rhythm. Is it sustainable? Well, pre-COVID, I don't care what you did in 2019, but you can't take all your meetings, put them on Zoom. Making one and a half or two times as exhausting, and expect people to just keep the same. So I saw a lot of insecurity in meetings mm-hmm. where because we don't think we're accomplishing enough, let's just meet a bunch. Seven hours of meetings a day, and I can tell you that as a guy spends a lot of time on Zoom, is not sustainable. Um, and so I think if we don't proactively wreck our meeting schedule and actually ask why do meetings exist, what are they for? Um, And what, I mean, can, can we literally cut them in half, Sean? And can we make them half as frequent? So if you were having a one hour meeting each week, could you have a half an hour meeting every other week and be disciplined enough to say, this is the one or two things we're going to accomplish here. So that's one of those that snuck up on a lot of leaders, um, deep work time. And that's a book that I'm a a huge fan of. It's a blocking and patching Cal Newport. Cal Newport. So good. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, maker mindset versus manager mindset would be another way to say it. And for anybody who's leading a team, you need both. Yeah. We we literally get paid to think at some level and we need to, to process. And yet there are things we also do and some output. And so I think just uh, every single leader, Sean, we're coming back down to schedule and saying, are the things that matter to you that are important, actually priorities? Like, can I see them on there? If it's a date night, with your spouse, do you actually have that on the calendar? If it's time with your kids, do you actually, you know, build in margins so you're not running straight to their soccer game, so you're not missing half their soccer, you know, whatever that is. So, I'm we're having tons of practical conversations break out there, and um, I'm right. always going to beat this drum, but but the idea of the ultimate important but never urgent is Sabbath. It's never urgent until we're like, yeah. you know what? Uh, leader yesterday he deals in the, the tens of millions range. Um, not a church leader, uh, in fact. And he said, I don't think I'm actually like sick. i am certainly not COVID. I think this is my body reacting. And he's, his mind has been going at 2x speed all the time. And his body eventually just kind of tells the tale of it. So a lot of the, you know, it's like you've climbed mountains in Colorado, you know, Colorado, it's dehydration. The time to hydrate is not when you're walking up a mountain. Yeah. It's actually the two days before That is the blood, the bloodstream full of enough hydration that you can get up that mountain. So I think what we're seeing a lot of now is you've got to go down for a while. And so it was the summer of reactive sabbatical, which was bizarre. Um, Mm -hmm. How fast it came on right around May 1st, a whole lot of church teams, quote unquote, sent their leader off on sabbatical like it's a punishment. Um, But it was a bit of a no crap sabbatical. So we had 70 on a webinar to just get interest wow. on that with a couple of weeks interest or a couple weeks um, advance. So those are a couple things that we're, we're seeing. I'm hopeful that we'll see a lot of more proactive um, sabbatical six to 12 months in advance to get the teams ready and whatnot. Um, but those are a couple of the conversations. And then I think processing and what's a safe place for a leader to um, as some have said, a safe place to be a heretic, to just have the conversation. Um, like maybe we'll have when we stop recording here and just going a little bit more behind the scenes of what's actually going on and what do you see here? And what about that? And here's what's actually hard for me. How are you processing this conversation? Um, I think if we don't find that it's going to come out somewhere, but Twitter is obviously not the place a little bit of a lightning round uh, right here. What's a book you've read in the last year that has changed you?
1: I've I'm reading one right now that has actually probably the best uh, leadership book, but I'm only about halfway through it. So to accurately answer that question, I would say
0: no rules, rules. Okay. And what are you reading right now? What's the halfway through? Uh,
1: It's a book um, and I should have left it on the counter here. I think it's called courageous leadership. It's a book. It basically takes leadership learnings. From the Jesuits, which is a 500 year old organization. Um, they' there it's a basically under underneath the authority of the Catholic Church, the Jesuits focused on missional and educational needs throughout the globe and they've become one of the most amazing and resilient organizations out there. So that one has been absolutely huge on what they focused on and what they didn't focus on, for instance, Um, I'll give you a great leadership learning out of that book, which was when they had more people trying to become members of the Jesuit group than they could onboard and and get hired and interviewed and trained and all those sorts of things. All the leaders globally went to Ignatius Loyola, who was a, a Catholic saint, and basically said, Hey, you help us solve these Manning problems. <laughs> and he wrote them all back and said, No, those are your problems, not mine. Like, don't shovel all that over here and expect me to have to figure it out. And then he turned around and developed a hiring process and procedures that made it like 10x harder to onboard people. <laughs> So he raised the bar. Basically, he said, like, what's going to happen in this season? This is vi- this is very contrarian leader, which that's how I think. I love the book, uh, Contrarian Leadership. Um, and so what he basically realized was we're going to have this onslaught of new hires right now, and we're going to lower the bar and just onboard people and get them tucked away into little enclaves of our organizations. But there will be a lasting effect of hiring the wrong people, getting them on too fast where we're not indoctrinating them and helping them understand our culture. So he actually made it harder. Like every new hire had to go through like a full year internship, uh, which was a weighty internship. They go through a 30 day period of solitude. Like uh, what do they call those? Where um, you like, it's just a silent retreat, I think mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah. Like where there's no talking at all. And and he basically said these are and, – and he forced these things to become part of their their culture because he saw what was on the other side of onboarding too many people in all the wrong ways was now you've got long-term problems by having the wrong people in the organization. So there's just so many brilliant things. You know, self-leadership is a huge part of, of what the Jesuits do well. So that book is, is kind of, it's old. It's a 20 year old book. I think it was a 2002 or 2004, maybe at the latest copyright. So that one's great. And the no rules rules is it's basically how Netflix resisted creating like hardcore corporate rules that boxed people in Mm. and basically they focused on hiring another, another thing that ties to the other book. They focused on hiring the right people and then giving them elbow room to do their job. And so, uh, no rules, rules like, yeah, that rules, that rocks. So Mm. it's no rules, corporate strategy, corporate policy from Netflix, Reed Hastings.
0: A conversation you've had on leaders in living rooms that you hope you'll never forget.
1: All of them for sure. Um, let's see the most, I think one of the most recent ones because those are just top of mind would be, I had a conversation with Joel Thomas, who was actually one of the first interns or the first intern at North point was called out of North point was leading their Alpharetta campus at the time was called out of North point to lead a church in Arizona. And then even just in the last few months, um, even in the last 30 days. Now he's back leading Buckhead at North Point. So he has uh, stepped out of the lead pastor role at Mission Church in Arizona. And there's a beautiful arc of this story. But one of the things that I absolutely do not want to forget was if uh, putting myself in the shoes and we're, we're hitting Andy Stanley for the second time in this podcast. But Andy was losing five, six years ago, Joel Thomas, one of his A-game leaders, like an absolutely incredible pastor incredible communicator, incredible leader. And that's, if you think about being a leader, one of the things for me that's the most painful is investing your whole heart and soul into somebody and then having them leave your team. It's just really hard as a leader. And I, I don't know Andy well enough to have had this conversation with him, but I'll bet you it was really hard for Andy. But you know what Andy did during that moment? was he prayed a lot about it and sensed that God was in it. And he also trusted that Joel was praying a lot about it and that Joel believed God was in it and, and Joel's wife, Jen. And, um, and he blessed it and he got behind it and he supported them and he pastored Andy through all of that transition time. And I don't think Andy knew that Joel would ever be back. Um, And Joel is, is back now in the fall of 2021 back at North point, but that's such an incredible moment to go, wow, what, what an abundance minded leader to be having one of your best team members step off, move across the country. You don't know how, what, what's the end of that story. But in the moment, it's like, wow, I've invested 15, 16, 17 years into this person and they're leaving and so for me, it's just a challenge of continuing to never doubt that God is fully in control of the story and um, sort of being self-centered or small, myopic-minded is
0: never good. A moment from this summer you'll never forget.
1: We had a, a family vacation. Uh, we were able to go to Alaska this summer. My oh, daughter was the in Mexico on missions. Oh, yeah. Yeah, dude. It was it was amazing. And my daughter was in Mexico all summer. We only had a week with her before um, she was back from missions work, which took was 12 weeks of the summer and then headed off to college for her sophomore year. And so the moment for us would be we we love hiking. Most of that trip was just being outdoors and, and hiking. And my wife's a planner, so she does a lot of research for our trips. And um, we were able to take a water taxi to a place in Alaska you can't get to by road and go on, I think it was about an eight mile or nine mile hike, it's a couple thousand foot vertical climb to a ridgeline. And behind us was the ocean. Um, And to the sides and in front of us were mountaintops and glaciers. And we hiked up this hill across this ridgeline. It was an all day hike. And then a boat picks you up on the other side of the peninsula. At the end of the day, and takes you back. Uh, We were in and out of Homer, Alaska, which is down on the southern tip of the Kenai Peninsula. And any moment that day, just pick was, was amazing. It was, we were isolated. We were out there alone. Uh, the scenery was incredible. We saw a couple bears on that mm-hmm. hike, as you probably awesome. imagine. And it was just, uh, it was great. The conversations were, were exceptional. Just the feeling of being in awe of God's creation and being there with loved ones. Uh, like I'd go back that, that I'd go back any day and uh,
0: mm-hmm. it, it would be a highlight. Mm-hmm a piece of advice you've gotten in the last year that you've been able to implement in your life? Oh, wow.
1: I think one of the top things. Um, so I transitioned a lot of the work that we're doing in, in cohorts, all of that started underneath a parent company that is a, a church bank. Great, great organization. Um, finance help for local churches is really their mission and that's uh, CDF capital is the name of that organization and um the work that i was doing it just became t- it, it became time to pause and say hey is this the most effective place for this work or has this work grown in a way um and so i called my counselor somebody uh, who I meet with fairly regularly and who speaks in into my life because the biggest con- one of the biggest concerns I had as I prayed through that was am I being arrogant mm. am I being self-centered and she basically helped me walk through aspects and a couple of close friends as well that I talked to about it and so I think some of the best advice I got was, you know, to take it slow, be prayerful during those seasons. But then ultimately when we came to a point of, no, this, God seems to be in this. um, My counselor just said, I think God is in this um, and it's time to act. And that was great advice. It was Mm -hmm. time to act. And um, there were a lot of things going on mentally and emotionally in my mind and in my heart but to, to unpack those things, get to the bottom of them, get good, sound, biblical, wise advice, and then to go, it's time to act. So I think the, the wisdom in that is, um, you know, not summarily just going out and, and staying busy and doing things, but when you've done your due diligence... And you know, when it's time to act, just rest in that and say, okay, like maybe that's a word from God. It's time to act. And God has absolutely blessed the journey along the way since then. So
0: that's good. Last question is actually just an encouragement to the leader listening. That's ready to tap out. They're ready to quit on some area of their life. Maybe even something they felt deeply called to. What do you say to that leader right now, Sean?
1: Yeah, I do. I love how you ended that question with, um, called to because I do think ministry and particularly ministry leadership is a calling and we can stray from that like we can be in the middle of that calling but we can stray from ultimately the core of a calling is is that God's in control and God's basically saying this is what I need you to do and um, biblically um, you know Paul planted the seeds Apollo watered it but who made it grow And there's a a line there between what we have to do and what God has to do. And we have to be patient and wait for God to act. So as a leader, that can be really hard, especially when today it's very easy to compare. Um, But I would just say, go back to that calling. And if God's still in that calling, then plant the seeds and water the seeds and let God handle the results and be at peace in that and pray for peace
0: in that. That's good. Well, Sean, I'll see you next week. Let's get some coffee. Let's talk more. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate your work, man. Keep doing what you're doing. These safe, convened, highly curated spaces for the right conversations. We need more guys like you. Thanks for your work, man.
1: Glad to be here, man. Thanks for having me.